This is the Get Healthy 360 podcast, where we discuss topics related to your physical, mental, psychological, and spiritual health. Your host is Dr. Chris Ferguson, board certified in anesthesiology and pain management. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and you should consult your primary healthcare provider before making any decisions related to your health. And here's your host, Dr. Chris Ferguson. Today we have Dr. Rachna Patel. She is an expert in medical marijuana and she's also an expert in CBD oil. She's going to discuss the medical implications or medical uses of CBD oil and medical marijuana. And she's also going to comment on the legal aspects of these things because the legalities of them are always changing. If anyone wants to reference the other podcasts, I had a lawyer talk about from a state medical board perspective, what physicians can and cannot do. And then there's also a DEA agent talk that I had if anyone wants to reference that one regarding controlled substances. So Dr. Patel, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Do you want to give a little bit more background into who you are and what your expertise is? Yeah, sure. So I am a physician who specializes in the area of medical cannabis, and so that covers medical marijuana and CBD oils. I have now been doing this since 2012, still going at it at this point, and I don't think there's any turning back. So to start with, if it's okay with you, we can get deep into CBD oil, and then we can get deep into marijuana. Mm-hmm. So to yeah. start with CBD oil, what is CBD oil? There's a little bit of background information that's needed here. You have the cannabis family of plants. And within this family, you have two members. You have hemp and you have marijuana. And they're very closely related. And there's one fundamental difference between the two. And that is in the amount of THC that they make, right? And this is really an internationally accepted legal standard But hemp has less than 0.3% THC, and marijuana has more than, by default, more than 0.3% THC. And that is the fundamental difference between the two. Now, both make CBD and THC, and basically these chemicals are extracted from these plants, and they're extracted using a solvent, and then they're mixed into a carrier oil. That carrier oil can be a kitchen-grade oil, such as coconut oil, such as olive oil, And that's why it's called an oil, because it's carried in an oil. But the term CBD oil comes from the fact that it's primarily, when derived from hemp, predominantly what you'll find in that extract is CBD as opposed to THC. And And that's why... And CBD stands for what? CBD is cannabidiol. It's a phytocannabinoid, one of the cannabinoids made by the cannabis family of plants. And then you have THC, which is tetrahydrocannabinol, and that's THC. So that's CBD oil. Okay, so basically it's an extract from the hemp plant because it it primarily is uh, predominant in CBD. So I'm going to just summarize what you said to make sure I'm understanding it and everyone else is understanding Uh it. So there's marijuana plants and hemp. Marijuana basically just has the THC. Hemp has the CBD oil. So they both make CBD and THC. But it's the amount that differs. The amount of THC that differs. Yes, you got it. Yeah. So the CBD oil without the THC that you're primarily getting that from the hemp. Yep. What are the uses or benefits of the CBD oil? Gosh, so many. Okay. So clinically, the most common conditions that I ended up treating. Now, here's the special thing about being able to practice as a medical cannabis physician in California. I did not have a restricted list of conditions that I could prescribe for. Somebody at some point uh, snuck in the phrase, they had a list of conditions, and then somebody there in the legislation stuck in the phrase, 
and any other illness. And essentially, it's up to the physician then to determine when medical cannabis is appropriate for the patient, right? So that gave me a lot of freedom and really the full freedom to see what can medical cannabis, the chemicals within medical cannabis, truly be beneficial for. When it comes to CBD, high CBD marijuana products and CBD oil, these options they best treated conditions such as chronic pain, anxiety, insomnia. And within the category of chronic pain, we're talking about migraines, we're talking about muscular pain, we're talking about nerve-related pain. Typically, it's mild to moderate nerve-related pain. Anxiety, and this is a fairly broad category. You know, we're talking about things like OCD, ADD, ADHD, PTSD. And then also CBD helps mild to moderate insomnia as well. Right. So on a related note, THC, I found clinically helps things like lack of appetite, nausea and vomiting, severe nerve related pain and severe insomnia. And also you do to treat autoimmune conditions, right, such as rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, Crohn's disease. Clinically, what I found is that in addition to the CBD, you do need some amount of THC to effectively relieve the symptoms associated with these conditions. It really became sort of an art and a science in terms of helping to guide patients in the right direction in terms of which combination of chemicals would best suit their particular conditions or symptoms that they had. Let's start with the legal aspect. Where is CBD oil and medical marijuana right now? Okay, so let's talk about CBD oil because there is something big that happened today. Okay. Under the 2018 Farm Bill, hemp has now been legalized. Hemp has now been basically non-classified as a class one plant. Basically since 1937, hemp was defined under class one under the Controlled Substances Act. Today, as of today, I don't know when the president is going to end up signing the legislation. That's when it's going to be official, but the Senate passed it today. And just, um, just for anyone listening, today is December 13th, 2018. Yeah, hemp and the chemicals that it makes are no longer considered controlled substances under the Controlled Substances Act. Medical marijuana, on the other hand, because it has more than that 0.3% THC, still is considered class one under the Controlled Substances Act federally. However, on a state level, it differs from state to state. Okay, so we have 10 states plus the District of Columbia that have legalized marijuana for recreational use. And then in sum, we have about 30-some-odd states that have legalized marijuana for medical use, and the rest still deem it an illegal substance, marijuana specifically. So it can get a little bit confusing because both plants make the same chemicals, but they're sort of kind of looking at it more macro than micro. So if it's illegal in your state, then clearly it's illegal in your state, because we're not going to advise anyone to do anything illegal, but let's pretend it's illegal in your state. How would you suggest someone go about choosing medical marijuana versus CBD oil? Where would they get these things? Okay. So CBD oil is easier, especially starting next year, January 2019, when this legislation goes into place. You might find it at your local Walmart or Target even. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see it there. Right now, as it stands today, CBD oil can be found at medical marijuana dispensaries. It can be found at your local health food store. And again, a lot of this depends on the regulations in your state. And it can be found online. Predominantly, I'd say it's mainly sold online. 
Marijuana, on the other hand, again, can be found if it's in a state where it's deemed legal. At a, predominantly, it's found at a medical marijuana dispensary. It is not found online, and it is not found at your local health food store. It can only be dispensed through a state-licensed medical marijuana dispensary. And that's even in the states where it's legal for recreation? Yes. Even in states where it's legal for recreational use, the facilities that actually sell the marijuana products, well, the people who grow marijuana, the people who make marijuana products, and the people who sell marijuana products need to be licensed at every level to grow the products, to manufacture the products, and then to sell the products. Now, the argument that a lot of people will have is that there are not a lot of studies that show benefit of THC or CBD oil. The counter argument would be, well, it's illegal federally, so it's very difficult to do studies to show benefit. Yeah. So here's how I like to equate it for physicians. It's almost like prescribing a drug off-label. When you prescribe a drug off-label, you see the clinical outcomes before you see the research. And so it's very similar with medical marijuana products and with CBD oil products. There are plenty of clinical outcomes. There's anecdotal. There, I, myself, as a physician, have witnessed uh, clinical outcomes. You know, these are people with the same exact condition coming in with the same report of outcomes that they experience. So the research is going to come later on. And in fact, when it comes to CBD, there are phase three clinical trials. Based on these phase three clinical trials, a prescription CBD medication known as Epidiolex, and this was formulated by two companies. One is based in, uh, originally based in England, known as GW Pharma, who partnered up with Bayer in the United States to form this product. And it's only approved for the use of select conditions of epilepsy, pediatric uh, conditions of epilepsy. But I imagine what's going to happen is that physicians will probably also prescribe this off-label as well for a variety of conditions. Well, since I'm a pain physician, I will tell you that a lot of the medications that are used to treat pain are technically drugs that yeah. were designed and FDA approved for epilepsy. Yeah, or there's antidepressants, anti-seizure medications. Mm -hmm. They weren't necessarily designed for pain management. I mean, that's essentially what I would tell you. No, I agree with you. There are not a lot of clinical studies out there. I mean, essentially, you can think of it as a medication that's being used off-label. The other question I have for you is, how do you dose this? So it's incredibly tricky. So there's a couple components. One is strength of the product, right? So CBD oil, let's talk about CBD oil first in a one ounce bottle. It's typically, it can come in many different delivery methods, right? But the most common is sublingual. Sublingual formulation, like I said, the way it's made is that the phytocannabinoids are extracted in a solvent and then mixed with a carrier oil. In a one ounce bottle, you can get anywhere from 250 milligrams of CBD on average, all the way up to 1000 milligrams of CBD on average. And that's not to say you can't get more concentrated or less concentrated versions of CBD oil, but this is an average. So that's one component of it is strength. The second component is dosing, right? Getting the dose right in terms of milligrams. And the third component of it is frequency. That's CBD oil. I'm going to give you sort of basics and then dive into details. When it comes to marijuana, rather than strength, what you're looking at are ratios. You're looking at ratios of CBD to THC. It can vary starting with equal amounts of CBD and THC. And then on one end, you can have products that are much higher in CBD than THC, right? You can have, for instance, a 20 to 1 ratio product that has 20 times the amount of CBD than THC. And then on the other end, you can have also a 20 to 1 ratio product where you have 20 times the amount of THC compared to CBD. 
So you're looking at ratios when it comes to marijuana products. And then again, you're looking at dose, you're looking at milligrams of CBD and THC. And then finally, you're looking at frequency of dosing. Probably the trickiest part is strength, you know, determining what strength and what ratios a person should use. You know, I've been doing this since 2012, and you know how psychiatrists, they become experts with Zoloft. Cardiologists become experts with low pressure. So as a medical marijuana doctor, I've become an expert with cannabinoids, essentially. So I have sort of general protocols that I've developed by medical condition, and then also within medical conditions as to, okay, for instance, let me give you an example. Let's talk about anxiety. Anxiety across the board is only benefited by high amounts of CBD. The patient has the option of using CBD oil, which by default is already high in CBD, or they have the option of using a high CBD marijuana product. And, you know, we're looking at a ratio, for instance, at least 20 to 1 of CBD to THC when it comes to marijuana product. So that's the first thing I figured out for anxiety. Now, the second thing is dosing. Dosing is highly individual. Dosing varies highly from patient to patient is what I found, regardless of BMI. So basically, body weight seems to have nothing to do with it because I can have two patients with the same BMIs who need highly variable dose. And just to give you an example, I remember I had two patients, both struggled with insomnia, and they had similar BMIs. They both tried the same CBD product. One patient needed 2.5 milligrams of CBD, while the other patient needed 50 milligrams of CBD both cases to sleep effectively. So that's a second component as an example. And then the third component is frequency. Cannabinoids are fat-soluble substances. So you can think of them almost, equate them to vitamin D, where everybody can have different levels. You have levels of them stored in your body. In this case, it works to your advantage if you hold on to fat more, if there's less of a turnover rate of your fat cells, because there's greater storage than of these cannabinoids. So some patients could take their dose that they've determined once a week, and it's effective throughout the week, other patients would need it every other day. So frequency is another component of it as well. Those are the components of my consultation, you know, the basic sort of blueprint of I'm walking them through how to effectively use these products so that they get the medical benefits without experiencing the side effects. The side effects are worse for THC than they are for CBD, but albeit there are still side effects that can be experienced with excess amounts of CBD. And one of which is excess amounts of either THC or CBD, for instance, can make pain worse because it's a biphasic dosing pattern that it has. So there's nuances to it, just like any other medication. These would be the basic components that play a role. So I was speaking to another physician who's, who's very familiar with this subject. So correct me if I'm wrong. So another way to say what you just said is inverted U-shaped dose response, meaning as you take either THC or CBD, as you take more medication, you will keep getting benefit. But then if you keep taking more than that, it actually makes the condition worse. Yeah. And then the benefit Especially, goes down. And I've seen it happen specifically with pain. You know, the other thing is, is that it's easy to develop a tolerance to this as well. Sometimes some patients get to a point of diminishing returns because a lot of people are under the mindset, oh, more is better. Not the case. You want optimal strength or ratio, optimal dose and optimal frequency in order for it to continue to work effectively. Every medication is going to have side effects. Some are more common than others. And yeah. All medications are yeah. going to have a bizarre, very idiosyncratic reaction with one particular person. But can you go through some of the common side effects of both of these medications? 
Sure. So let's start with, let's do this chemical by chemical. Excess amounts of THC. Mildly excess amounts of THC will cause things like palpitations, dizziness, anxiety, to the point where the person experiences paranoia. Severely excess amounts of THC will cause things like nausea, vomiting, hallucinations, both auditory and visual. But you'd have to consume a lot of it to get to that point in one sitting. Typically, it's most common with edibles. Because what happens is that the onset of action with edibles is typically up to two hours. Most people will sit there, get impatient after, I don't know, 10 minutes, and then continue to take more and more. And then all of a sudden, it peaks in their system. And it's such an excess amount that they're experiencing the visual and auditory hallucinations. This is commonly what has happened when people have consumed THC recreationally, is that they're taking way too much. So that's THC. With CBD, excess amounts, to those that are prone to dizziness, it can make dizziness worse. It can make them feel groggy or tired, similar to the way that Ambien and over-the-counter sleep aids can make people feel when they wake over. You know, a lot of times they describe that as, oh, I wake up feeling hungover or in the mornings. That's what they might say. Again, this is when CBD is consumed in excess amounts. When taken appropriately, these, neither of these chemicals should affect the ability of a person to function. They should be able to function normally. Have you noticed any interactions with other medications or supplements? So over the years, I've sort of been keeping track of this. With basic medications, antihypertensives, anxiolytics, you know, specifically benzos, antidepressants, no, I have not. Now, here's the thing. What I found is that the research says one thing, but clinically, I haven't found this to be the case when it comes to specifically warfarin. There was one case study done where the INR levels of this patient did go up. I've treated so many patients who are on warfarin. On every revisit, they brought back their most recent INR levels and, and they didn't have to change the dosing of their warfarin. One of the things, though, that's important to know is that with this recent trial that was done with Epidiolex, one thing that they found was that patients who were on valproic acid and they took high amounts of CBD, they found that these patients experienced mild levels of liver injury. Basically, they had elevated liver enzymes, which went back to normal once they stopped taking the CBD. That's one thing. The other thing is there's also research on an anti-seizure medication called clobazam, often used in pediatric cases, where what happened was that when clobazam was taken in conjunction with the CBD, the dose of the clobazam had to be reduced. Although this is a general trend, especially with opioids, even anxiolytics and antidepressants. Oftentimes, patients have to wean down or they're actually able to completely wean off of medications such as antidepressants and anxiolytics and opioids. What the reasoning is behind that could be a couple different reasons. One is the way that CBD interacts with cytochrome P450 and how it then affects the breakdown of all these other medications. So for anyone um, who's not medical, cytochrome P450, it's this group of enzymes in the liver that metabolizes food and drugs and everything you have. So if CBD and THC interact with that, that just means it affects how other medications are being metabolized. So that can either increase the amount of medications or it may decrease the amount of medications. Yeah, so essentially basic principle is that the dosing of some medications may need to be readjusted when taken in conjunction with either CBD oil or medical marijuana. 
every medication, there's kind of a subset of patients that it's almost like a home run. Sometimes like you'll try it and in a subset of patients, this is the thing that will help them. And every mm -hmm. medication and every drug kind of has this sweet spot of patients that it just happens to work very well for them with their unique makeup. Can you describe some of those cases? I mean, I would say those three categories that I brought up before, chronic pain, anxiety, and insomnia. I would say a good 90% of cases are home runs. They work very effectively. Chronic pain is a wide, it's a broad category, right? So within chronic pain, I would say, like I mentioned before, migraines, muscular pain, especially even extreme cases where patients with like multiple sclerosis have full body spasms, has helped them tremendously, has helped patients with arthritic pain, fibromyalgia which tends to be very resistant to conventional medications. Medical marijuana has been tremendously helpful for these patients to the extent that I've seen these patients eliminate a lot of the medications that they're on or significantly reduce the doses of the prescription medications that they're on. What else? Crohn's disease, psoriasis. So interestingly enough, medical cannabis applied topically works just as effectively as topical steroid in terms of reducing the redness, the inflammation, uh, the peeling and the flaking that happens with that condition on, on skin patches. Um, Is that with your experience or are there any larger studies? There haven't been any larger studies, but there have been, what are they called? Is it in vitro or in vivo? I always get them mixed up. In vitro would be like in a test tube and in vivo would be yeah. like a okay. live so there, person. There have been, there's this really interesting in vitro study done. Okay. So basically they took hyperkeratotic cells and they bathed them in a solution of phytocannabinoids, right? They extracted these chemicals and they bathed them in that solution. And what they saw was that it reduced the turnover rate of these cells. And that was really interesting because when patients reported to me that, hey, you know, it works incredibly well when I use it as a topical for my psoriasis. And then I went and read up on it. I saw this. It's like, okay, well, it makes sense in a way that this is what we're seeing at the cellular level. Clinically, this is what patients are experiencing. It's fairly broad, its application. A couple conditions where patients have not reacted to it. One is depression. Okay, so oftentimes what people will end up with depression will end up doing is that they'll use a high THC product. Yeah, it'll cause a transient sort of dopamine high, but that's only for several hours. You go back to feeling like normal, you know, with a depressed mood. With that, I found pharmaceutical medications are far more effective than medical cannabis. Severe spinal stenosis, the pain associated with that medical marijuana is not effective for. Also severe shingles. Medical marijuana is not effective for so any sort of severe nerve pain. It, There's not it's a lot. To so treat. just so anyone knows, so shingles is that stripe-like pain that you get usually on your chest or sometimes rarely your face, but not much works well for that. And the same with spinal stenosis. So severe nerve-related conditions, depression, I found it hasn't been effective for. You know, these patients have time and time again reported that it's not working. You typically have to continue to take their prescription medications if those are effective. And how quickly do people become tolerant to it? So it depends on how much they're overdoing it, right? If they're sort of following my protocol and methodology, they typically don't become tolerant to it. But if you have a patient that's incrementally increasing doses on a daily basis, they're going to hit a point where they're going to plateau in terms of results. And that can happen pretty quickly. I've had patients, they've had like back pain forever for years and nothing's really worked. And then they tried the medical cannabis or the CBD oil and they sort of got overzealous <laughs> and they started taking more and more and more. And then... 
I would say two or three weeks later, they'd call me complaining that, hey, it's not working anymore. It was working fantastic, and now it's not working. So I'd go over, okay, well, how much did you take? How often did you take it? And it turned out that they were overdoing it to a certain extent. They didn't stop at the point where things were feeling good. They try to go beyond that even. So within a couple of weeks, you'd notice a tolerance if you're overdoing it. I have two other guests coming up, or I have a few other guests coming up that are going to talk about their experiences. They actually became addicted to prescription narcotics, and the only thing that was able to keep them off narcotics and functional was medical marijuana, and they're in states where it's legal. Yes, it's tough as a physician, because I don't believe in replacing one substance with another. I don't know how you feel as a physician about that. Yeah, clinically, I have seen it help, you know, even alcoholics, people who have had an issue with substance abuse. If it's treating the an underlying cause, such as anxiety, if anxiety is a reason that, that they'd always been drinking, using that as a method of quelling their anxiety, then yes, but I don't Your take is actually really interesting to me because you're the medical marijuana CBD oil expert, but it's really interesting to me that, like I'm telling you, I have two very strong testimonials of people who have said, this is what's helped me not be on narcotics. And it's like fascinating to me. That would not be something that you'd be a proponent of. No, I mean, and I'll tell you why I am. And I'll tell you why I am. Yeah. The way I think about it is now everyone would say you should be physically active. You should exercise. Taking medications for a particular condition is a crutch and you shouldn't just be in crutches all the time because let's say that the narcotics are like a crutch and we're giving people crutches and then it makes their systems weaker and then they can't walk around and it's just this bad cycle. But what if someone's missing a leg? Would you tell that same person, no, you can't have crutches, you should just hop around without like a prosthesis or crutches? You wouldn't. No, I wouldn't, no. Now, some people, I would say, by their genetic makeup, are predisposed to just chemically craving a particular substance once they're exposed to it. And that's just their predisposition. That's just how they are. For Mm -hmm. example, everyone knows someone who can go to a party, they'll have, say, a glass of wine or two, and they're totally fine. There's another subset of people who are totally fine, and then they will have one drink and they just can't stop. So they should just not drink, and then typically they do fine. But there's a small subset of people that once they drink once, they become addicted to it and they just can't stop. Like, their brain just won't shut off craving that substance. Yes. Here's the thing, though. If they're prone to overdoing the substance, any substance, with medical marijuana, if they use that in place of whatever substance they're using, it could be that they could very quickly develop intolerance to it. You know, in terms of risks, much less riskier to quote-unquote overdose on these phytocannabinoids that I've talked about. But again... I'll take it a step further then. It's it's interesting that we're debating Mm -hmm. this and the sides that we're taking. Now, (laughs) it is well established that there are methadone clinics that are used to treat chronic opioid addiction. Yeah, Yeah. And they're vetted by the state and people who have an addiction problem will go to the methadone clinic and be closely monitored and do it as safely as possible. Otherwise, they have very poor options if that wasn't available. There are also suboxone clinics where Mm -hmm. people with these addiction problems, and I'm the first to say this is not their fault, like this is the way their brain is made. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. For me, I like to solve problems. My sort of take on this is, is replacing whatever substance they on with marijuana actually going to solve the problem? Because it's very likely that if they have a tendency to overdo it, they're going to likely develop a tolerance to the marijuana, to the CBD oil. And again, they're sort of left with the same problem at the end of the day. 
So many conversations I've had with people who will say prescribe Suboxone for narcotic addiction. It's safer. It satiates or just it calms down that craving for the narcotics without Mm -hmm. the dangerous side effects. There are some things that you can't fix. Like if someone is missing a leg at this point in time, we cannot grow them a new leg, but you can give them a prosthesis. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I sure. guess I come from the perspective of, okay, you know, let's solve problems. Because the reason I went into medical marijuana was because as an emergency medicine doctor, I was prescribing medications. What do you prescribe in the emergency room? There's no emergent cause. If you rule out emergent cause, you send them on their way with prescription for opioids. But these same patients were complaining that didn't work. They were getting side effects. And worst case scenario, they've had overdose on these medications. It felt like I was standing at a revolving door, not solving a problem and instead perpetuating a problem. And so for me, you know, at some level, I don't want to have a role in perpetuating a problem for someone. So that's my dilemma. And it may be a personal ethical dilemma. (laughs) But that's my take on it. I always question, okay, am I replacing one substance with another? Am I perpetuating a problem here instead of solving a problem? But at the end of the day, you bring up a good point. Can you actually solve that problem? You may not be able to truly solve that problem. It may just need a patch. I haven't had too many patients that have been in that situation where they've come to me looking to use, you know, medical cannabis or CBD oil specifically for that reason. I've had a couple here and there. I would guess that it's something that may be worth exploring because I think people just don't think about it in that way. Yeah. I don't know if there's any research done on this. This is not something I've delved into, but it's certainly... I have anecdotal case reports. Yeah. I think there's plenty of those, but I mean, it's something I have to sit down and really think through that. Am I really helping someone at the end of the day? That's kind of what I struggle with, answering that question. Because I I always like to walk away knowing that, okay, I did some good. (laughs) You know, in that situation, there's sort of a gray area. Then I'm going to recommend you subscribe to the podcast, or I can let you know if you want. When I do the interviews, you can listen to them, and we can talk offline about what you think. Yeah, to see I would if love that. You maintain your current stance, or if and it's and actually it's interesting because I've I've been asked this question on the podcast before a couple of years ago, and and this was my stance on it. You know, part of it is also just being a medical marijuana doctor. It comes with its own set of stigma. And so maybe at some subconscious level, now that I'm talking about it out loud with you, it could be that I don't want to be an advocate (laughs) for, you know, replacing one drug with another drug, just also being a, a medical marijuana doctor as well. So I don't know. I need to think about this. I think you've given me a lot of food for thought. And I think I'm going to dig into the research on this as well. I'd love to see what's happening at the biochemical level. And I would love to see, I'm sure there's not research on this yet, but long-term effects. Is it truly effective long-term for people who do have problem with substance abuse? And how long of a term is it effective for? Because if it's effective for, say, the rest of their life, then yeah, I'd be a proponent of it. Because then I would feel like, okay, there's a problem that's been solved here. You know, this is sort of an in-between, and then they sort of go back to using, uh, abusing other substances. Then it's like, I don't know. So say they use it for a while, and let's just say it's not even medical water. Let's say there's some other substance that is helping people with addiction. If they stop, if it stops becoming effective, that just means they've developed a tolerance to it. So if you tell Mm -hmm. them, you get off whatever it is that's helping you, let your body build back up a sensitivity to it, and then you go back on the medication. But knowing that there is hope at the end of the tunnel and you're not going to have this craving forever, that it's almost like this light that you can just wait for versus for the rest <laughs> of your life going on with this problem. 
Yeah. So I agree with you. Like I said, marijuana products and CBD oil can be taken in, in such a way that they don't develop a tolerance to it. You know, it can be taken for years because I've had patients who've been on it for years and they haven't developed a tolerance to it. So I feel like I need more information. I'm a very research-based decision maker and I just need more information to go off of. Well, and it's actually funny because I'm in a very evidence-based legal field where everything I have to do. And you're more in a slightly different field with less research but it's, mm-hmm. again, it's yes. very interesting to me, <laughs> our stances yeah. on this. Yeah. Does anyone have any sort of theories as to how THC or CBD oil actually work? Like what's the mechanism of action? Yeah, various different ways, right? So in the case of anxiety in animal models, what we've found is that CBD interacts with 5-HT1A, which is serotonin receptor. In migraines, one of the theories with migraines is that it's caused by an imbalance in serotonin levels. So tryptin actually impacts the serotonin pathway, the class of medications known as tryptins, and these are commonly prescribed for migraines. And so similarly, phytocannabinoids work in a similar way where they impact the serotonin pathway. And then sort of more at the, for instance, when it comes to pain, what they found, again, in animal models is that when someone experiences a lot of pain, they tend to upregulate cannabinoid receptors. What they believe happens is that that then um, reduces the transmittance of the pain signals to the brain. It dampens those signals. So there's various different ways that it could work depending on the medical condition. We're just now tapping into this. It's more theoretical based on research and animal models, but we have sort of some uh, inkling of an idea as to how it works. That's very interesting. The interaction with serotonin is, from a medical standpoint, um, interesting because so if someone is on an antidepressant, that affects serotonin, for example, you have to be cautious if you're taking a herb called St. John's wort because mm-hmm. it can cause something called serotonin syndrome where your muscles just spasm yep. and it's just a bad thing you don't want. Any thoughts of the risk for that if someone is on You know, I've had patients, oh, with antidepressant medications yep. that are like SSRIs. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had plenty of patients take phytocannabinoids with SSRIs and SSNRIs as well. And clinically, no drug-to-drug interactions that they reported back. Sure. And a lot of these things, I feel like sometimes they're theoretical. I'm sure they're real, but it's not like, I don't get the sense it's this common everyday thing. Otherwise, the drugs would not be on the market. Yeah. Like with the valproic acid, it may depend on the dose of the phytocannabinoids that they're taking as well. You know, maybe it has to go well into the hundreds of milligrams to see this drug interaction. And it's been rare for my patients to take that much CBD. Do you notice any weight gain with THC or CBD oil? Okay, so THC definitely stimulates appetite. But interestingly enough, there's actually uh, research done on this. And in cancer patients and in HIV patients where they tend to experience cachexia. Cachexia mm-hmm. just means they get really thin, a lot of muscle wasting. Just to clarify for anyone who doesn't know what cachexia means. Yeah, it's a wasting syndrome yes. that goes with these conditions. So interestingly enough, research showed that, yes, it stimulates their appetite. They also gain weight. However, a healthy individual, the THC does stimulate appetite, but they don't gain weight from it. I did a a YouTube video on this long ago, so I don't remember the details of the exact study, but I found that really interesting. So it could be that their theory on it was really interesting in terms of what could be going on. 
Yeah, so there are a couple different studies done, and these studies looked at thousands of people, right? So one study followed about 3,600 participants, ages 18 to 30, for 15 years. And they looked at those who had no history of marijuana use, and then they compared them to people who had a prior history of marijuana use, right? And these were people who specifically had used marijuana for more than 1,800 days for over the 15-year period. And what they found was that, yes, marijuana consumers consumed about 600 more calories per day than the non users, but there was no increase in their body mass index. And there were two other studies that showed similar results where there is an increase in calorie consumption. And this is in healthy individuals, but there's no impact on their body mass index. And it could be. So the theory is, is that somehow marijuana plays a regulatory role in that it increases weight in those who are of low weight, but not in those who are of normal or overweight. So it may have something to do with ghrelin and leptin even. I'm not sure. So the question um, that everyone's going to ask is, well, if they're taking in 600 more calories a day, where are those calories going? Or did I, I misunderstand know. you? <laughs> this is what the study says, that, yeah, they are consuming 600 more calories on average per day than the non-users, but there was no increase in their body mass index at the end. So I don't know. I, I can come up I, with I a variety of theories <laughs> off the top of my head. Sure. So if, okay, so let's assume that that study is true. Mm-hmm. And assuming the study is true and doesn't have some sort of internal or external flaw or reporting bias, either it's if they're taking in more food, either it's decreasing the absorption of food or it's changing their micro gut flora. So the gut bacteria is metabolizing the food in some way, shape or form, or it's increasing their metabolism in some way, shape or form. So that way you don't have the uptake of the calories off the top of my head. Possibly. With the metabolism, though, I haven't seen much of an impact on, like, for instance, thyroid function. Patients who have been, you know, whether most of them tend to be hypothyroid, it's a commonly diagnosed condition, uh, almost even overdiagnosed, I'd say. Most of these patients who are on levothyroxine generally end up having to stay on it. It doesn't impact any of their thyroid hormone levels. Continued use of marijuana doesn't. So, you know, I don't know. Oh, it's very interesting. So I would strongly recommend anyone who's interested in learning more about medical marijuana, get your book or definitely look at your YouTube videos. Do you want to discuss your social media contacts? And your book, by the way, is The CBD Oil Solution. It is on Amazon. It is on Amazon, releasing on March 5th of 2019. Yeah, there are several ways to reach out if you have questions. One is on YouTube. I'm always answering commonly asked questions on YouTube. Another way to reach out is on Facebook. I have a Facebook page. You can just get to that by going to facebook.com backslash doctor. It's all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R. And then uh, Rachna Patel. And then I also have a a Facebook group that's specifically dedicated to answering questions about CBD and CBD oil. And you can get to that by going to facebook.com backslash groups backslash ask the CBD expert. So numerous ways to reach me on social media. I'm sure you're a a good source for keeping up to date with legal things, which are always important to know. Yes, that's primary. (laughs) When you're practicing in this field, you got to keep up with the law. Yes. Any closing thoughts for anyone who's listening, physicians or regular non-physician people about CBD oil and THC? You know, I think with the laws changing in the upcoming year and with patients being able to access CBD oil now uh, very easily, I think it's going to be highly relevant for many physicians to get educated about this 
because they're going to have patients who are going to use it and it's essentially available over the counter. For non-physicians, and actually even physicians alike, be careful when it comes to the quality of marijuana products and CBD oil products that are out there. Realize that there's still relatively unregulated industries. So watching out for things like, you know, only buying products where you know the exact amounts of CBD and THC and making sure it's been tested for things like pesticides. And we're not talking about just when it comes to pesticides, the difference between organic and non-organic. I mean, some of these products, I've looked at lab test results, they have like outrageous levels of pesticides that are used on them. You know, for patients who are immunocompromised, aspergillus is a big concern, especially if you're inhaling these products. So that's something to watch out for. So what is aspergillus for anyone who doesn't know? It's a fungus that when you have a compromised immune system, it can infect your lungs. And so you really want to be cautious and get products that have been tested for aspergillus because the plant itself is very prone to growing, to having the fungus aspergillus sort of infest it. Is that a concern with the THC or CBD or both? Both. Both plants are prone to aspergillus spores. And it just hangs out in the oil. So it goes through a a process. There's processing that happens. However, you still want to be cautious because the spores, you know, if they resist the heating and the drying process, could still end up in the oil. And then if you end up inhaling it, they're having case reports of aspergillomas from uh, patients who have used, who have inhaled specifically marijuana products. So that's something to watch out for. The other thing is heavy metals because these plants, both hemp and marijuana are bioaccumulators. They soak up the heavy metals in their environments. And then the last thing is solvents. So remember I said that these products are made using solvents. So these solvents, the safer solvents are carbon dioxide and alcohol, but the unsafe solvents are hydrocarbon, right? So examples of hydrocarbons that are used are butane, which is what's in lighter fluid, hexane, they use that to make glue, among other things. Propane, that's what's in the tank that fires up your barbecue grill. So, and oftentimes they testing for residual amounts of these hydrocarbons in products is not standard. You know, if there's really high levels, they can end up being toxic. So there's a lot of little things to look out for in the industry. This is um, kind of a, a silly question, but why would anyone use that? Yeah. Like why it's would they just, choose butane or hexane or these other things versus? It's a cheap way to do it. If you use carbon dioxide, Oh, I'm sure that's very Um, expensive. Yes, because you need machinery for that to go from gas to liquid and then back again from liquid to gas. So you probably don't Uh, want the cheapest, the cheapest CBD oil you can find. And alcohol, it also extracts the chlorophyll and it impacts then the flavor of the CBD oil. It tastes like plant. It tastes like grass in an alcohol extracted CBD oil. So that's why people oftentimes use hydrocarbon. And, you know, these processes sort of originated off the streets and usually on the streets, that's what they used. So they used hydrocarbons. So that's why I would say more standard, though, is carbon dioxide. But just watch out. You want to be careful. Like I said, it's not a regulated industry. And by the way, I sort of gave you a cursory overview of this. There's more information on my YouTube channel. You can get to my YouTube channel by just Googling either the medical marijuana expert plus YouTube or the CBD oil expert plus YouTube, and it'll show up on the first page at the very top, and you can just click on it, and it'll take you to my YouTube channel. Well, fantastic. Dr. Patel, thank you very much for your time and expertise. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and visit the Get Healthy 360 Facebook page. We are always looking for feedback and new story ideas. Thanks again, and see you next time.